When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello there and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian and you are listening to episode 190 of the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast. Today we are discussing all things non-toxic. Specifically, we're doing a deep dive into conscious consumerism as it relates to all areas of our homes, but specifically our bedrooms, because we spend eight hours a day there, hopefully, hopefully eight-ish hours a day there. So how can we curate spaces that support rejuvenation and well-being, not just for ourselves, but for our families as well? Today, I'm speaking with Angela Wade and Ellen Strickland. Angela is the CEO, and Ellen is the Chief Sustainability Officer of Shades of Green, which is an online space that's dedicated to creating healthier living spaces, and they do that by sourcing and selling only non-toxic and environmentally friendly products, and also offering green design consultation. Angela and Ellen, I'm really excited to talk to you both today. How are you? Hi, I'm great. I'm very excited to be here and talk a little bit more about sustainability and what we are doing with Shades of Green. I am the founder and CEO of the company. And just to share a little bit about myself, when I'm not spending time outdoors in nature, I'm usually on the road at a horse show or spending time with my dog. So it's a little bit about me. And Ellen, how are you? Hi, Stephanie. Nice to meet you. I am Ellen Strickland, and I am actually serving as the Chief Sustainability Officer for Angela and Shades of Green. I have been living in Santa Barbara for the last, I think it's now 25 years. I am a retired stepmom, but I still am in very close contact with the sort of extended family that I've created over the years. And I have a dog and a partner here now in Santa Barbara. Well, for my longtime listeners, it comes as no surprise that I am extremely passionate and interested in curating a non-toxic home for my family. That is something that I've been working on. It wasn't my (laughs) entryway into sustainable minimalism, but it was a topic that came to me as I ventured down the sustainable minimalist path. So I'm really excited to talk to both of you about how exactly we can all do just that. But before we get there, we need to talk about your company, Shades of Green. What is this company? What do you do? And what problems are you solving for listeners like me? 
So really what Shades of Green solves as a business is we are a sustainable shopping platform that offers consumers a curated selection of healthy and sustainable products from around the world. Each of the products featured on our platform meet a certain sustainability threshold and are then evaluated across five life stages and given a score on a five-point scale. So in comparison to a lot of other companies using icons, which in some ways kind of serve as buzzwords that we don't fully understand, whether you're looking at something and it says organic, it's not necessarily speaking to where is the organic fabric or cotton sourced in relation to where the product is manufactured. So really, when we're looking at these five life stages of sourcing, manufacturing, shipping and the packaging used, use and performance of the product, and the overall life cycle of whether it can be recycled, upcycled, or if the product's biodegradable. We're doing our best job through these interviews with the vendors to source the best quality products that also are functional and have a high design standard. So the goal of our platform is really to be transparent and honest about the details and the toxic chemicals that you know we don't want to be exposed to in our home and provide people with the better products. Well, I can speak for many, if not most, eco-friendly consumers who are interested in curating non-toxic homes when I say that it is really darn confusing for the average consumer to navigate a world in which toxins are in everything. And so I really appreciate your rating system. I believe you call it the shades, if I have that right, because it breaks it down for people like me who are not trained in this realm to make healthy decisions for our families. So that brings me to my most pressing question, I think, and also one of the most prevalent criticisms of eco-friendly living, which is that when it comes to curating that eco-friendly and non-toxic space, that home, let's say, it often comes down to swaps, right? Like, let's swap this unsustainable, toxic product with a better one, more sustainable, less toxic, but also potentially more money. So I'm wondering here, is it possible to curate that eco-friendly and non-toxic home without having to spend a lot of money and swap out all the stuff we already own? I think sometimes there's a compromise there. And the point is, how much do we want to sacrifice our health? There's the conversation around which products are really eco-friendly and better for the environment. And then there's the question of what are you bringing into your home that could possibly harm you? And I think that's where sometimes as consumers, we have to take a step back and, and you know, this is the responsibility of a lot of shopping platforms to provide the information of what chemicals are in these products because most people, they don't know. And you can't make a better decision if you don't actually have all the answers. So I think, you know, it's always going to be more of an expense to keep your health in mind and the planet in mind. But I think that it's, it's the compromise that's worth making, if that makes sense. I think there's also a couple of things we can keep in mind in terms of 
perception about green products and green materials. When things began to really take off in the early 2000s, there was a perception that building materials, finished materials, and green products were all anywhere from 10 to 25% more. I think what's true about new trends is that things tend to be more when they first start out and then they level out as they become more mainstream. And so as we have increased the number of products and materials available, the prices have gone down, things are more competitive. The other thing I'd say is that there are a lot of times when you buy healthy, sustainable products that are going to last a long time from the beginning, you actually do save some money. I've learned through the years of doing a lot of home remodel consulting projects that you can actually choose a material that allows you to cut costs in things like maintenance and repair and replacement because it's actually something that's going to last a lot longer because of what it's made of and the quality of the design. Hmm. Those are great points from both of you. But Ellen, you really spoke to me there. (laughs) I wish that I had been in the mindset of quality over quantity when I was furnishing, or when my husband and I, I should say, were furnishing our first home. I just wasn't there. I was in the, go to the department store, get the clicker for the registry and just click your heart out. I wasn't in the mindset of purchasing the quality, purchasing the stuff made to last, purchasing the stuff that would help preserve my health, my husband's health and our future children's health. So for anybody listening who, you know, might be 10, 15 years behind me, I think you both brought up some important aspects of (laughs) the future to perhaps consider. Now, I have a bunch of questions for you both. And I should say right off the bat to listeners, these are questions that I have. These are legitimate questions I have as I'm seeking to slowly create a more non-toxic home for my family. I've said on a previous episode that my mattress is incredibly toxic, but it's just not in the finances right now to replace that. So I'm very slow in my endeavors. However, there is a sense of urgency at the same time because I don't want anybody to get sick. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to shoot off my questions. Angela and Ellen, are we on board? (laughs) On board. Fire away. (laughs) All right. My first question has to do with dyes, the dyes on our comforter, the dyes on our throw pillows. Who knew that a lot of those dyes are synthetic made from petroleum? So my first question here is, why are petroleum-based synthetic dyes used so much more often than the natural ones? And why should I be concerned about those petroleum-based dyes? I think one of the things that we all have to think about is the way products and the the commercial products are marketed to us all. A lot of times what people want is the thing that's going to cost them the least. And that's the same for the manufacturers and the industrials who have to make all these products. They look for the cheapest way they can make something and the easiest way they can make something so they can mass market and spread it out for everybody. So in the case of dyes, one of the things that occurred is with the Industrial Revolution and the availability of petroleum and oil for general products in binders and chemistry and coatings and things, it became much easier to manufacture and make more of these products so that everybody could have some. 
So they obviously spread around the world a lot faster that way than doing it all by hand. So that's the first thing that we, you would say, well, that's the logical answer. The problem is, is that petroleum-based products are not the healthiest ones. And so what we have found over the years is that returning to some of the traditional crafts of handmade dyes, plant-based dyes, things that are made of more natural materials are actually perhaps a little more in time and labor to create, but they're the best for us to use in terms of our own personal health. All right. So then my follow-up question would be, you know, I know you have a, an online store that rates products and sells the products that rate highly. However, how can those of us who are in, let's just say Macy's, how can those of us in Macy's discern an item with petroleum-based dyes from one that boasts natural dyes? Is there something specific, a word, a phrase, a chemical that would connote petroleum-based as opposed to natural? Or should we just assume then that everything in any big chain store uses petroleum-based dyes? So what there are a couple of things we can learn in, in terms of sussing out a product, how it's made and what to look for. The first thing you can say to yourself is if a product smells a lot, if, it, if you can, even in its packaging and container, you smell a lot of things that you can't identify, not a natural herb or a natural fragrance of any kind. That is something to question because you have to find out then what's creating all that odor. Now, just in reading the label, you'll find that a lot of chemical names have things like A-T-E as an end or A-N-E or I-N-E. There are a lot of different suffixes to the words and they're quite long and complex. So basically, you can say to yourself the logic if I don't know what this word is, I need to check it out. I need to find out what it is. You know, and a lot of things when they're organic or they're products that we really are familiar with the comp the composition of them, they actually are words you recognize. There are things that, in fact, you can identify what all the ingredients are. But it's these complicated chemical names that can sometimes be a real problem. Hmm. It's the same with food, right? When we're eating yes. for health and we want to limit our exposure to potentially hazardous food additives, it tends to be the ones that we can't say out loud that are concerning. The other things to do is look on labels at the things that are identified after ingredients. You'll sometimes see things about things like hazards, cautions, beware. If you see all kinds of extended lists of things, again, you need to question what, what they're actually making it with and why. I would also say um, that we try to work with companies that either use plant-based dyes or azo-free dyes, which are less harmful to the environment and human health. So that is a big consideration for us when we are sourcing our products and looking at where they're getting their colors from. We're going to pause this conversation for a quick note from this week's sponsor. But when we return, we're going to talk about all about curating that eco-friendly and non-toxic bedroom haven that I know I'm searching for continually, and perhaps all of you listeners are too. We'll talk about that after a quick word from this week's sponsor. The Sustainable Minimalist Podcast is supported by Gemist. I can never find shampoo that works for me, and I'm tired of investing in products that don't work for my hair. 
That's why I'm thrilled to have found Gemist. I took their quick quiz, then their algorithm matched me with the right shampoo and conditioner for me. It's not magic, it's science. Gemist has addressed my biggest hair concerns, like its frizziness for one, and my hair's now soft, clean, and definitely less frizzy. Even better, I'm no longer wasting money and resources on the wrong products. And did I mention that Gemist is also free of parabens, dyes, and sulfates? Right now, my listeners can give Gemist a try and get 20% off their shampoo and conditioner smart subscription. Smart subscribers already save 20% on each order, so this is an amazing deal. And with free two-day shipping, you can have it this weekend. Just visit Gemist.com to get your personalized recommendation and enter Minimalist at checkout for 20% off your subscription and free two-day shipping. That's G-E-M-M-I-S-T dot com and enter code Minimalist at checkout to get the best hair of your life. And we're back with Angela Wade and Ellen Strickland from Shades of Green. We are talking about our eco-friendly and non-toxic homes. And we are talking about right now our bedrooms. Now, I feel like I'm going to just talk about my mattress so much (laughs) this episode. I've mentioned it before. You know, when we bought our house, we went to the mattress store. We laid on all the (laughs) mattresses and looking back now, that's just not anything I want to do. We picked one. It happened to be memory foam. We got home and it just smelled so terrible. We couldn't even sleep on it. It smelled so terrible. And that really speaks to what Ellen was saying earlier about how if something smells chemically, if that's a word, that should be our spidey sense going off. When we talk about our bedrooms, we have to talk about sleep quality, right? Because that's why we're there. And so I'm wondering for both of you, how can we curate bedrooms, not just for ourselves, but also for our children that enhance our quality of sleep? So Stephanie, I would like to appeal to your sense of well-being for your family's health and for your own personally to encourage you to make a switch. If, you're, if your mattress isn't right, I would hope that you could put it more to the top of your list as opposed to letting it hold off. And this is why. Because you spend one-third of every day with your face down in the materials that are on your bed. That's your sheets, your mattress, and your pillow, for example. And what's happening is, aside from any sleepwear you may be wearing, you are using that opportunity then to allow whatever those materials are made from to absorb right through your skin. And you're doing that for a solid eight hours. It's like getting an infusion of whatever those materials are made of. So if they're full of chemicals, that's something that you're then putting into your system for a solid eight hours every day. Well, I'm saying assuming eight hours, maybe it's six or five, or maybe you sleep 12 hours. But in any case, it's a long period of time. And the sleep phase of your life, your bedroom is the place where you are doing restoration, where you are rejuvenating your body, giving it time to rest and restore so it can start again tomorrow. You're scaring me, Ellen. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. I'm just, I, I would say, you know, this is an important topic because we all need that well-being in the bedroom. That's one of the things where, as you just said, that's one of the things we're there for. And so if anything matters the most to us in life, it's that we 
we do the most we can to make that bedroom space sacred to sleep and health and well-being. Yeah. You're saying what the inner voice has been saying to me for the past three years since we've had this mattress. So I have to ask you, there are plenty of mattresses on the market that market themselves as organic or natural or non-toxic or whatever that buzzword might be. But, you know, what do you sleep on? Uh, well, actually, I sleep on a Naturepedic. It's a mattress that, in fact, we have worked with in the past and will be working with again in the future. Naturepedic is a company that's been very involved in sustainable sleep, I would say, healthy sleeping for a very long time. And there are a lot of other brands, too, that I would say are worth looking at and recommending or at least exploring the opportunities with them. There are different kinds of mattresses. There are different kinds of materials that are used. And the most important thing with all of them, whether it be that you use a, a foam mattress, a coil mattress, a soy-based or sort of plant-based material mattress, with all of these, what's important is the way it's configured, structured, and how it supports your body for rest, and also what it's made from in terms of the quality of the materials so that what you are going to be breathing in all night is the healthiest thing for you to be sleeping on. So I can kind of add to that in, in speaking to the fact that the majority of our mattresses from the late 60s till now have been made from polyurethane foam, which is petroleum-based and emits VOCs. And we know that VOCs can cause respiratory problems, skin irritation, you know, it can be carcinogenic. And a lot of that has to do with the formaldehyde that's used in that foam is a, a binding agent. So it holds the mattress together. So what's, what's great about Naturepedic, and I also sleep on a Naturepedic mattress, is it's natural latex. And they're doing their fireproofing a lot of the time by wrapping the mattress in wool. So you really are having a all natural product that you're sleeping on for eight hours a night. Oh, all right. I'm going to buy a new mattress tomorrow. <laughs> I want to thank you both for the kick in the butt. I appreciate it. How else, though, can we curate our bedrooms to be, I'm there for eight, but hopefully nine, let's be honest, nine hours a day. How can I curate my bedroom to promote sleep, but also not contribute to potential health issues down the line? So there's another concept I'd like to bring up that I think helps people think differently about their bedroom. And that is that actually within any room in your house, you have a bunch of different products or materials that are made by a bunch of different companies from a, a bunch of different chemicals and uh, materials that in fact were not designed to work together. They were designed to make that product work, but they weren't designed to necessarily work with about 40 other chemicals or, or materials in the room. So the minimalist concept, which I know you promote, is a great idea to apply to this. You can say to yourself, I want to work with the least number of materials I can so that I create the smallest amount of chemical soup in my room that I can. So in other words, you have to think about the floor and the ceiling and the walls and the furniture and the sheets and the blankets and all the things that are involved with your bed. And then there's the home decor of throws and shades and textures and fabrics and upholstery and foam as mattress, as Angela mentioned about the mattress, all of these things add to that chemical soup. So 
where you can eliminate them is going to be very important to your overall well-being in that room. The, the less chemical you add, the more indoor air quality enhancement you will create. To follow up on that, one of the products that we have had success with using just on our own time, it's not one that we sell at the moment, but the Aware Air Quality Meter, they're not the only one kind of on the block doing this, but it's a product that I think is a great addition to any home that allows you to see the air quality levels in your space and how they change depending on whether doors or windows are open you know, Ellen has can speak to this where she lives near a highly trafficked area. She'll notice that the aware meter will change during high traffic hours and it might prompt her to then open a window. So I think having, you know, a gadget, if that's what you want to call it, like that, that can help educate you on maybe when your air quality isn't the highest it could possibly be. I think Angela also brings up something else that I am becoming more acutely aware of myself, that the quality of sleep also is impacted by the amount of electronics or devices that you have near your sleep area. There are some consultants who will say, eliminate all electronics from your room. And other people will say, well, I can't eliminate my phone because I have to be you know, on call for people or, or to my family or to whatever. And I think what we can at least do is try to move them as far away from the bed as you can so that as much as you can, you can create an airwave-free zone around your bed so that you give your body a chance to not be impacted by EMFs as well. Wow. This is an amazing conversation that's giving me so many tips that I can go implement, you know, tomorrow. But I do want to ask you about my sheets. We talked about the petroleum-based dyes, but I found myself wanting to ask you about the organic component, specifically as it relates to organic cotton. My sheets, my duvet, they're not organic cotton. I bought what was on sale at, I don't know, probably Macy's. (laughs) How concerned should I be about my non-organic cotton mattress covers. What might be the most important question to ask yourself? Well, there's a couple. Did they smell a lot when you opened the package? Were you able to wash them right away before you actually put them on your bed and slept with them? And another one might be what kinds of finishes did they have applied to them? Were they described as, you know, silky smooth, satiny smooth? Were there treatments that were done to the sheets that actually added chemical finish to the material that you want to make sure you try to either wash out or remove any way you can? I don't know the answer to any of those questions, but next time I buy sheets, I'm definitely going to consider them. Well, and I will say that I, having just switched to linen sheets, I don't know that I will ever turn back. Yay. So anyone, anyone listening that is thinking about making that jump or leap of faith, it is worthwhile and much cooler sleep. It's an interesting thing about materials. Angela brings up a good point. I made that switch to linen a while back. And another thing that always surprised me in the organic bedding world is wool underpads or wool finishes for the mattress covers. Because I thought, oh, that must be so hot. 
But in fact, it wicks off the best in the summertime or year round. So that's another one where it may sound like it's going to be a hot material, but in fact, it's very effective because wool naturally wicks off the moisture. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I've got to get rid of my polyester synthetic mattress pad for my memory foam cancer-causing mattress. Oh, geez. (laughs) I have a busy day tomorrow, ladies. (laughs) I want to ask you though, you know, I always thought that perhaps opening the windows and inserting a couple houseplants was supremely helpful. Am I completely off base in judging fresh air and plants' abilities to detoxify my space? I will just say, first off, I think that's largely dependent on the environment that you live in and your surrounding area. So some would make the argument that if you're living in a city and you're opening your window for fresh air, you actually can invite more harm in than than good, fresh, clean air. But I think, I think Ellen, you can probably add to this a little bit about how, how much of a benefit plants really have on our living space. I think every little bit counts, but I'll let you kind of chime in. Yeah. The great thing about the plants is they have a natural job in nature. They actually absorb carbon dioxide and carbon from the air, which is one of the things we need to do quite a lot. And so they off-gas, if you will, fresh quality oxygen. That's one of the great things about their own chemistry systems is that they're helping us improve the indoor air quality in any given space. Now, other people may say, well, I have allergies to things that are in the soil or I have allergies to certain kinds of plants. And that is all true for some people. That is the case. So you have to sometimes be very careful about the plants you choose or how many and where you put them in the room. But there's a great benefit to increasing your exposure to nature just in terms of just improving the air quality in your home, both in and out. We, we need to sort of bring it back in and out as much as we can. So I'd like to get each of your answers individually to this question. And my question is geared towards the newbies who are listening, who may find themselves interested in investing in non-toxic products, perhaps interested in the relationship between eco-friendliness and non-toxic products, but they're overwhelmed and they don't know where to start. So maybe I'll ask Angela first and then we'll follow up with Ellen's thoughts. My question is, what are three practical and easy first steps, or we could call them quick wins, that listeners can take right now to create a healthier home? I'll start by kind of speaking to a room that in the home that I spend a lot of time in, which would be the kitchen. And I think this is an area where we can really choose change. I will say that I am joining in Plastic Free July and taking a pledge to not use single-use plastics for the entire month. But that really speaks to, to what I've experienced when it comes to food waste and when it comes to kind of saving leftovers as well. We're so used to using Ziploc bags and throwing them away. But I would really encourage listeners to, to go out and buy stasher silicone reusable bags or zip top reusable bags. They're dishwasher friendly. They're 
an elimination of Ziploc bags or even using plastic wrap. That in combination with really making an effort to not use even plastic Tupperware. It's a new study just came out last year that showed 40 pounds of plastic is what the average human is consuming in a lifetime and roughly a credit card's worth of microplastics a week. To me, it's alarming and the separation of food being in plastic or included in plastic really needs to happen sooner rather than later. I would say, to piggyback on what Angela just said about food and consumption, one of the products I would probably pick, and it would be the easiest on your wallet, would be a reusable, either glass, a recycled glass, or a a reusable glass, metal, or ceramic drinking container, because one of the things that's really tricky about using all these plastics is that when they heat up, and they often do because of where we leave plastic water bottles, that plastic leaches into the water. So for example, the last thing you want to do is leave a plastic water in your car because then you go out and you park your car and you leave it out in the sun. You come back and you're thirsty and you want a drink of water. That leaching of the plastic chemicals has gone right into the water and you're going to drink it up. So there's all kinds of ways, like Angela just said about in the kitchen where this is a problem. And then If I were, again, to just go back to the bedroom for a minute, I would say even if you can't afford to change out your mattress, at least be very aware of the materials that are the closest in contact with your skin. So that would be your sleepwear, your sheets, and perhaps even the mattress pad, just because those things at least create some layers of protection from anything in the mattress itself that may not be healthy for you to be absorbing for many hours a day. Before we go, I want to discuss your personalized services. I believe you call them design services, but I feel like I just got a free consultation today as we're talking about my toxic bedroom. And I feel as though truly you both have imparted some real quality, solid wisdom on me. So we've talked about the retail side of your business, and I'm scrolling through (laughs) your retail options right now on your website. And oh my goodness, they're gorgeous. But let's talk for a quick minute about the design side. What are you trying to achieve with your design services? And how do they work for my listeners? So I would say that one of the advantages we have in addressing the interior home as specialists in home health products is that we can look at a room in a home and say, okay, what are the logical things that we should actually pay attention to changing out first or doing a refurbishment on or just making sure that you think differently about as you are redesigning or setting up your home interior? And you're keeping health in mind with every step. So if I were a young mother and I had, say, two kids that were below the age of four, say I had a toddler and I had a baby and I also had a pet. Well, if my little dog and my baby and my little toddler are crawling around on the floor and on the furniture and I put them on the sofa with some of their toys or I put them down on the carpet or on the bare floor of my home, I want to make sure then that those materials are made of the healthiest things they can be because that's 
in the same way we described about the bedroom, this is happening for my children and for my pet who have some of the most fragile immune systems around because of their age. Usually a baby crawling around the floor has the most vulnerable immune system possible and we're exposing them to all the different chemical soup products that we talked about that may be in a given room. So again, it's another reason to think about how many things you actually put them in touch with as you go along. One thing I love about your website is that you have the rating system. And for people like me who need a lot of guidance, the rating system, one through five, really helps anchor my efforts. Can you talk briefly about what aspects go into your rating system, how it works, and how consumers can use it? Yes. So... In talking about the evaluation system, our goal is really for it to be inclusive. So if you see a product that is scored the palest shade, a one, that product is still sustainable in some fashion. It might not tick all the boxes in terms of the packaging or, you know, perhaps it comes from far away. So it gets, you know, a little bit discounted, if you will, for that. But the whole goal is that every single company is included in the process. We are creating a community of sustainable vendors. And at the end of the day, our hope is that if they do receive a lower score, it incentivizes them to try to improve their practices and become more green. So in looking at how we evaluate all the products, we study the sourcing of materials the manufacturing of the product, the shipping and what type of packaging is used, the use and performance, and then the overall life cycle of whether the product is biodegradable, recyclable, or it can be upcycled into something new. Within that, there are about 25 variables and then close to 100 plus data points that we cover when we do these in-depth interviews with each vendor. And again, that rating system, somebody else doing that legwork for me, somebody taking a product label and reading between the lines with a fine tooth comb is supremely helpful to consumers like me. Yeah, no, and and you learn a lot about the products and the story behind them. And I think that it really does aid in in this idea of community. If we are honest and transparent with our customers, I believe that, you know, they will be trusting customers that come back again. So it's it's hope hopefully a circular consumerism community that we're creating. Totally. I feel like I speak for everybody and listeners, sorry for speaking for you, but I'm just gonna do it. Like we're sick of being greenwashed. We're sick of being marketed to. So I just want to thank you both so much for imparting your wisdom, your knowledge, your passion. Where can we find more of Shades of Green? Well, of course, on our website, shadesofgreen.com, where you'll see all of the products that we have launched with. And we'll be adding about another double this year which is very exciting. And then if you want to give us a follow, we are Shop Shades of Green on Instagram. I'm following you right now. (laughs) (laughs) And I just want to thank you both so much, Angela and Ellen. I 
learned so much about this conversation and I am not being facetious when I say I have a really busy day tomorrow (laughs) with my bedroom and fixing all its problems. So thank you both so much. You're welcome. And we we wish you good luck in your shopping sustainably tomorrow. Thank you. Bye-bye. Listeners, I so hope you enjoyed my conversation with Angela Wade and Ellen Strickland of Shades of Green. We talked about an awful lot today, and I added it all into the show notes, which you can find at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 190. On next week's show, we are discussing home design with a home design expert. I'm so excited. We're talking about how we can incorporate what's older, maybe family heirlooms, perhaps. How can we incorporate what's a little bit old into our current space without our space feeling awkward, forced, out of date, out of touch, etc. That's next week. I will see you then and take care.